Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. <laughs> but I drew it on my trackpad with my finger. So I'm not listening to any of you guys. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> obsessed with it right it's, it's, it's yeah. fun yeah hey everybody welcome to episode 120 of the more than just code podcast i'm tim mitra and i'm in toronto ontario and i'm joined once again by aaron may in whitby ontario hi there and also joined by jaime lopez jr in seattle washington how's it going and we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. So let's, well, we don't have any Ask MTJC, so let's just uh, scroll through the follow-up, shall we? You're up first, Tim. Hit it. Sure. All right. Go so I found this uh, kind of cool thing. I, 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 some, for some reason, so I fell on my head and I opened up Chrome, my Chrome browser, and uh, this article was staring back at me. And I thought, oh, what is this? And it's about machine learning. And what it is is, uh, is a guide, non-technical guide for people who are interested in machine learning, and it's compiled by a couple of guys. It's interesting because they've got a listed a whole bunch of different resources for uh, different kinds of things that you might be interested in, um, you know, some news source sites that cover news on uh, machine learning, some startups, some people, and some events that people can get involved around the world. So great little sort of spot to sort of go. And if you just want to dig into the, the new hotness that is Machine learning. Mark and I were talking about this just before the show. So I don't know if you looked at this uh, page, Mark. Yeah, I took a quick look at it. It looks like there's tons of stuff in there. Uh, so it'll take a little bit of time to go through, but it looks looks like a great resource. I'm just looking at looking at it now, and I, I would agree that it is a much longer list than I assumed. Um, looks like it's pretty well laid out too. So I think it gives you sort of an area to attack the. Uh, how does it that they say? Uh, eating an elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they have a, a mailing list, too, that you can join, and typical uh, newsy sort of links that come through um, every week, I guess. And uh, it's kind of interesting. So I haven't really had a time to dig into any of it, per se, but I just thought, since it's a follow-up to the fact that we've been talking about, and Mark's been talking about specifically, um, machine learning for quite a while now. So Yeah, and then uh, instant FU to your FU is uh, quick draw uh, from Google, and that would not be 
you know, Quick Draw McGraw, uh, the old cartoon character. No, no, no. This is um, Quick Comma Draw or Quick Draw dot with Google dot com, uh, and they're using a neural network to try to recognize people's doodles. So it'll give you, you know, like six different words. Um, I think you get what ten to twenty seconds at a time, and you just draw. It says draw television. And then, you know, you draw a television and it tries to guess what it is that you're drawing, right? It's like you're, you're given the word and then the machine is trying to figure out what you're drawing. Um, and it's actually a lot of fun. Um, I would recommend doing this on your iPad because uh, it's much <laughs> better with touch it than it's with a mouse. Mouse is, yeah. is tough. I tried it. It's it's not as good. I think if you oh, had a Wacom on. tablet or if you had an Apple Pencil, even better on an iPad Pro, it'd probably be way more fun. And then it's kind of cool to see, like... Uh, what it thought were the other possibilities. Like, you know, I was drawing like a duck and then it's at moose, you know, hammer. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. No. <laughs> and then you get to see like what other people have drawn too. And then kind of either feel really proud or really ashamed. Like the, the hardest one I got was dishwasher. It's like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, I was like, I've drawn stove. I've drawn microwave. I've drawn ovens. Uh, octagon is probably the easiest one to get right. Um, hmm. so I'd say give it, give it a shot. Uh, it's, it's more of like a fun little, you know, time waster sort of thing, but gives you sort of the idea of what these classifiers are trying to do for the machine learning. Yeah. I played with it too. It was quite a bit of fun. Strangely, it got mustache wrong and I drew what I thought looked like a pretty good mustache, but, uh, <laughs> but I didn't get it. Well, I was assigned to draw an anvil, and as, it was funny because as I was drawing it, it was kind of guessing all the other things like you said, but then it said, oh, I know anvil. So score yeah <laughs> but i drew it on my trackpad with my finger so I'm not listening to any of you guys i'm like <laughs> <laughs> obsessed with it right it's, it's, it's yeah. fun yeah our neural net figured out four of your doodles but i saw something else in the other two okay i'm trying to figure out okay so it didn't get my radio and it didn't get my truck which admittedly looks like a turtle hmm this is interesting hmm 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 yeah, if I had an iPad Pro with a pencil, I'm sure I would be better. But not much better, let's be frank. It's me. Okay, hang on. Yeah, I've draw. even seen okay. some some YouTube folks, um, some some Let's Players in particular, who have the Wacom tablets on their, their artists. And it's amazing like how much they can get done in 20 seconds that uh, is both you know, really good art and at the same time is also like understandable by the machine. You know what hmm. the coolest thing about this is? I think, and I haven't looked at it that closely enough for sure, but I'm pretty sure that they're actually using your drawings to help improve the model. Well, obviously, so, that's what it's for. Right, right. Clearly, yes, yes. Yeah, it's clearly a learning algorithm to get you to give it more data. That's what Google's all about. Oh, yeah, yeah, clearly. That reminds me of um, uh, Google. Google. Google had worked on a, I think it was a speech recognition algorithm using machine learning in order to get enough data to train their system they created a, a sort of 411 service this is ringing a bell for anyone is it just me I sounds kind of full kind story. of familiar yeah. well so that they they had like a free service that you could call on the telephone and you would have to ask it for um someone to contact i guess and it would provide you with the information something like that and when they got enough data uh, for their experiment they just shut it down hmm yeah. So yeah, that's what that's Google right in the nut. <laughs> I kind of had a similar idea for you know an application of machine learning, and uh, I don't like the term artificial intelligence because I think it makes 
that technology seem like more than it really is. You know, it, it sort of uh, inspires visions of, of Skynet and other such terrible calamities that um, I think anyone who's involved in this field knows is kind of science fiction-y. It doesn't, doesn't have much grounding in reality. Um, but machine learning, I think, is very interesting. So um, podcasts, right? One of the big things that I think podcasts need is a, is a way to transcribe. And if you could have a machine learning system that could process a podcast and produce a transcript from it, like that'd be huge, right? Wouldn't that be huge? So write mm-hmm. it. It's huge. existing technology. I mean, there's voice to, to text has been around forever, not forever, but for yeah. many years. So write it. Yeah. What Wait, are I'm, I'm all over it. Okay. I'm, uh, okay. Oh, well, I'll have it for you next week. Then. <laughs> okay. uh, Great. I mean, somebody cool. who's capable should write it. Not me. Obviously not me. But, you know, someone should do that. I mean, I think that would be wonderful. Like just handed a handed a podcast file. Here's an MP3, and it separate identifies the different speakers. And maybe you could plug in, you know, here's a voice. Who is that? And you say Aaron. And then here's the other voice. That's Tim. And then it just goes and does the rest with it because it recognizes those voices and then takes out the ums and ahs and the. So that would be a great technology. Go for it. Free ideas. I'm just an idea guy. You guys run with it. You you listeners. All right. Or if it already exists, let me know. Because we could use it for this show. <laughs> All of this very ephemeral material that we're producing in podcast form um, is, is just gone, you know, the moment it's, it's published, basically. So we have our listeners who listen to it, but then it's a huge drop-off and it doesn't really last, right? So something I said that was idiotic a year ago um, is happily anonymous at this point. Oh, because... no, we totally remember what you said a year ago. <laughs> sure you do. I don't remember what I said last week. <laughs> I mean, and I just was listening to it this morning, so don't even go there. The point is, if uh, there were a way to have transcripts of podcasts, and uh, if that were a thing that all podcasts could do, then it's even something that you could have um, in the podcast client. Uh, That would be pretty cool, too. Think Mm -hmm, about the possibilities. mm -hmm. So, uh, people out there, go to, get back to me, let me know. I do know that uh, uh, I can ask uh, the people at Ray Wonderlic because they do transcriptions of some of the videos, and I think they use a service. I'm not sure if it's an automated thing or if somebody actually sits down and types out each word. And I've, I've had to transcribe videos in the, myself in the past, you know, to sort of gather notes and stuff like that. So it's time-consuming, but it can be done. So maybe we end up crowdsourcing this then. So uh, if you're listening to our back catalog of episodes and you find something particularly hilarious that we said – uh, tweet that at us, at us at uh, you know, with hashtag MTJC Gems, and uh, you know, episode and time code would be like best because, as mentioned here, without the transcripts, it'd be really hard to search and go find where it is you're talking about. Wow, sure, yeah. Otherwise, they're lost. Like, sorry, lost. Tears in the tears rain. rain. Tears in the rain. Exactly. Tears in the rain. There's a song, yeah. isn't? Isn't that a song? No, it's a line from. Uh, um, oh, I knew it until you asked me. Um, Han Solo, not Han Solo, not Han Solo. Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. Yeah, it's okay. uh, the Roy speech at the end, where just before oh, he dies. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on, Tim. You've got another right. awesome link. It's doc time. Yeah, well, I mean, we were. This is following up on our talk about the um, the four ports on four Thunderbolt three ports on the new um, MacBook Pros, and this is another doc that's supposed to be coming out in January, I believe from one of the places I buy a lot of stuff from, from OWC. Um, they've got a dock coming out, uh, Thunderbolt 3 dock, in for around two, just under $300 a US. 
that's in pre-order right now. And it, it, ha- it offers things like SD card reader, audio out, um, regular USB ports, as well as FireWire 800, Ethernet, gigabit Ethernet, uh, and a couple of extra three Thunderbolt ports and uh, mini display port. So, so a friend of mine, um, Charles Perry, was lamenting on the... I think he mentioned on that. I mean, he must have got a Mac Pro. He was saying that he can't um, drive his DisplayPort. Uh, he's got a couple of uh, monitors. He was having trouble um, running. And I had just found this the day before and put sent it over to him. So, has interesting things if you're looking for you know to drive your old monitors and stuff like that as well. And as well, there's there's an older product that they have. I don't know if it's much utility for most people, but it, they do have a USB dock that's available now. USB C dock, I should say. Um, but I don't think it offers as much features as this one does. And it's similar to it's sort of what you were saying, Aaron. You want to have something on your desk that you can just plug into, you know, to have your spare drives and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, this one looks uh, pretty good, actually. Um, I think it's available now. Yes. Uh, so it comes in different colors. Yeah. And it's got three USB-A type ports, a USB 3 Ethernet, and... USB-C and HDMI. Yeah, yeah. So only HDMI, not DisplayPort. Might still be okay. Which comes in rose gold, though. Mm-hmm. Rose gold. Yeah, and but the <laughs> Thunderbolt 3 port uh, version that you first started with is $280 right now but, and yeah. not available until February. Right. Right, but it has the DisplayPort. And obviously faster yeah. throughput all over because it's Thunderbolt instead of USB-C. Well, it's interesting, too. I saw on Twitter um, that uh, somebody had posted that they couldn't get the Belkin, um, which is it, Gigabit? No, it's something. Yeah, oh, Gigabit the, Ethernet, I think. You're thinking of the Ethernet adapter to USB-C. Yeah, they're, they're like months. Not they're, available. They're back, yeah. months back ordered, yeah. Cause I need to get yeah. some of those for, for our, at work, as I mentioned before, right? But, right. Um, yeah, and I had put that on my list, and I didn't really look at the the, the uh, ship date. And, yeah, it's it's quite in the future, so... Exactly. An Apple solution was to give the guy, uh, I think, a, U, uh, a USB adapter and then, no, I guess a Thunderbolt. A Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt, to Thunderbolt 2 and then to a Ethernet. USB. Yeah. yeah. That's an ugly so. situation. Yeah, I would hope that would be a, like a loner situation where once it's in stock, I can bring it back and be like, here you go, and then let me buy the one thing I actually wanted. <laughs> Maybe like, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> Well, I mean, like so. in this case here, these these two Thunderbolt docks, the one that's available today for like 140 something dollars US, um, that one, if you needed to get a bit Ethernet right away, you could start off with that one, I would think, right? Yeah, right. So, plus, plus, like I said, I need an SD card reader for my uh, 3D printer as well, right? So, and cameras. Yeah, it's not as portable though. I mean, you know, the the two adapters together is still something you can put in your bag. Where this this dock, not so much. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. One I of mean, things to think about. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if you're sort of the the like Mark and I both tend to use our our uh, laptops on our desks with a monitor and all that kind of stuff, but occasionally we'll unplug and go go nomad with it, right? So, yeah, so yeah. a dock is is the perfect thing to have for that scenario, uh, unless yeah. you yeah. also need to plug into stuff on the road, in which case it's adapter time. Exactly. Well, then hopefully, then you only need one or two adapters, right? Not not yeah. the whole shoot and match, right? In practice, uh, the Really, the only adapter I need now is this uh, USB-C to USB-A adapter. That's the only one I use uh, now that okay. I have my four ports. Uh, and because the only things I plug into my computer are uh, my microphone, 
like right now, which is the USB microphone, right? Uh, the other thing is my lightning cable. And so now, now I have a USB-C to lightning, and so no adapters required. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was, I was working on an iPhone 7 at work and dealing with accessibility. And, of course, I'm, I'm tethered off the, the Mac because I, I'm doing a build and I want to I have the whole console output. Um, but then I have nowhere to plug my headphones in because, uh, you know, so hopefully, hopefully somebody's going to come up with a, with a lightning port splitter so you can have chart, you know, have yourself tethered to your Mac and also be able to use your headphones at the same time. So, I mean, I do have Bluetooth headphones at work. I had to bring them in from home, but that's kind of a pain in the butt. Oh, so I'm sorry. You're using your, the, the headphones that came with your iPhone seven. Yeah, so I've got, right, so I've got the right, one right. lightning port, and uh, yeah, because that's what came with, and then I need to, if I'm tethered and I want to use, I, I don't want to just serve everybody at the office, so you want to wear headphones when you're doing voiceover, right? Sure, so. yeah, but you know, you can, you get the adapter for the headphones to plug into the headphone jack of your computer, right? No, no, the, the voiceover's on the phone. Like, I'm listening to oh, the voiceover on the phone. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. sorry. Yeah, so it's kind of a pain in the butt. So people get to listen to voiceover as I'm testing it, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So that's kind of, a, you kind of a drag. You're not plugging your headphones directly into your phone then? No, because I have to be tethered. Like I'm running, I'm building off of Xcode onto the phone. Right? I see. I need okay. to see the console on, the, with on you. the Xcode. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where the conundrum is. Okay, so I can't, you know, of all the things that Apple would think we would never need to do, and that's, you know, be tethered and listen to the phone at yeah, the same time. Yeah, they don't care about that situation at all. <laughs> they, they there is a third-party splitter that does exactly what you're describing, but I think it's like oh, really? 40, 40 bucks. I think. I don't... Well, I'm sure you can find it online. Let me see if I can. Like a lightning splitter, yeah. And there are there are because um, Charles was saying he needed two USB, sorry, two mini Display Ports for his situation, and and I have seen um, Display Port splitters as well, but I don't know how they I don't know how they work. I guess because they're digital, it, uh, the operating system is able to tell one port from the other. So if you had two monitors hooked in, what do you think? Who knows? See, sorry, Tim, I'm following up here. Is this Belkin one that I put something that uh, you're looking for? I think. Yeah, let me see. So you have the one port going into the phone, and then the two, so the headphones coming out, and then the uh, lightning cable that's connected to your laptop, which is where you're presumably running your code and you're trying to debug and test. Yeah. Okay. I did, in fact, put it in the Skype chat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Belkin, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's others. Maybe there's others that are uh, better or perhaps cheaper or what have you, but there's at least a starting point. Yeah, for sure. Check it yeah. out on Amazon and then see what people actually bought. How do you mean, like, from what other things? Like their their recommendation system that shows you, like, people bought, you know, this along with other things, or people bought this instead, and it gives you kind of a a nice, like, crowdsourced way of of understanding what's happening there. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Can't tell if it's actually available yet. It looks like it is. So I see it on Belkin's website. Hmm. It does seem to be available, shockingly. So, mu- so many things that we talk about these days that plug in via USB-C are not available these days. Um, but this is lightning, so maybe it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hmm. There's a solution to your problem, Tim. All righty then. Okay. Well, the next follow-up item is the, uh, we, we talked about, I think last week, we talked about the Apple Store, App Store purge in respect to the Mac App Store. Aaron asked a question, but uh, I found this article this week on TechCrunch about uh, the fact that uh, some numbers have been revealed in terms of, not from Apple, but third parties in terms of what apps are starting to be purged from the store. 
And uh, I think 23% of them were games, which, as you can imagine, there were probably a lot of cloned games out there that did very little but jump around and flap, if you know what I'm saying. Don't, don't we know what the percentage of apps that are games is on the store? Like, it's more than 23%, isn't it? Oh, 28%, sorry. Um, 28 I'm yeah. Sh- I'm not sure. It is. Uh, yeah. But anyway, like they're saying that 47, 40, sorry, 47,000 apps have been removed so far since... Mm-hmm. The per- Did it start on January 16th? Couldn't have. That seems early. Yeah. Oh, I guess mm. October 16th is like August, September, October. Those are the, the sort of numbers where they're starting to spike. Oh, so it's just October 16th, or sorry, October 2016 is when these 47,000. Yes, that makes more sense. Removed. Yeah, yeah. So. I had two apps that uh, I allowed to be removed by not updating them. Uh, they were just, they were kind of old and weren't really doing anything. And the amount of work that it would have taken to get them up to speed was just more than I wanted to do. So I, so I let them go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah did we discuss it? Is there a way to delete an app from iTunes Connect? I can't remember. To delete? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There is? Okay. Okay. Really hard. Uh, do you want the step by step? <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't yeah, tell you off the top you, of my head. Did you just head, take yours off sale, off sale, or do you remove I did remove from sale, but I and I also saw the delete option there and didn't okay. do it. I just couldn't bring myself mm. to delete them. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Your babies. Yeah, exactly. Um, real-time follow-up. I have a link here to a website that breaks down the percentage of apps by category. And according to this, from Statista... The statistics portal. Games represent 24% of the apps on the store. And so hmm. uh, that's he was pretty close to the percentage of apps that are games that were removed. Right, right. Interesting, huh? Isn't that fascinating? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. fascinating. So now I know. Hmm. I'm in the so, 2. 2.69%. Yes. With my product. I'm in the 0%. The I don't want to I'm not even <laughs> in the store. Hmm. Okay, so good riddance, right? I mean, the fewer apps, yeah. the better. But the thing is, I think I saw... Oh, yes, it was in the iOS app weekly newsletter. Do you get that every Friday? Uh, I, may, I don't think so. Okay. And uh, so that's a newsletter that goes out, and I've forgotten the name of the jo- uh, jolly fellow from England who does it. I apologize for that. Uh, he uh, was keeping track of a selection of apps that he felt should have been part of this purge. Hmm. And uh, since before, you know, Apple did anything. And he was saying in the last issue of the newsletter that many of those apps are still there, uh, leading him to believe that this purge is still underway. Yeah, yeah. So uh, stay tuned. 43,000 apps this time and uh, more to come. (laughs) Yeah, I would think so. I mean, there's, there's millions and millions and millions of apps, right? Well, not millions and millions and millions, you know, like, uh, wasn't it like 1.2 million? Dave Verwer is the fellow. My bad. I, I know it was a number that Tim Cook um, used in a keynote at one point last year or something about how many apps there were on the app store. Oh, I wasn't looking for that. What I was looking for was Dave Verwer's right. uh, yeah. post. So. So the next item I put on the follow-up list was uh, a post by 
Den Zandanoff. And I thought we talked about him before. He's, I believe, the publisher of PDF Expert, and he's talking about how you can still make millions creating apps on the App Store. And my proviso was your mileage will vary because um, PDF Expert was already a very successful app on iOS but when it came to the App Store. And actually, when I checked out, we did actually talk about this last November when he first launched uh, onto the App Store, Mac App Store. So he's got some follow-up numbers here on um, how he did in the last year. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. I mean, look at the, the number of units sold, right? Like, that's um, that wouldn't be huge for for iOS numbers if you're trying to sell it at, you know, 99 cents or with some sort of in-app purchase for 99 cents or something. Um, but when you're selling something that is, you know, multiples of dollars and not single dollars, it uh, it definitely makes a lot more sense economically if you can find that, that balance. Uh, and as some real-time follow-up here, uh, probably too late by the time this episode goes out, but maybe PDF Expert is having a Black Friday sale, so you can get PDF Expert with $20, $20 off, so... Hopefully it's still available by the time this episode goes out. Or Cyber Monday, maybe, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting that 50,000 units makes it number one app on the Mac App Store. That's a pretty low number compared to iOS, as you were just saying. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know the numbers today, but, but at one time, uh, you needed to have several hundred thousand copies per day to be number one app on the, on the iOS App Store. It's probably even higher now. But just interesting. Look at the fact that he says he got a hundred million. Or sorry, well, a million people visited the PDF site, the PDF Expert site. One hundred and fifty trials were downloaded, and fifty thousand were sold. So, I mean, that's a very low percentage out of a million, right? That's well, fifteen percent, right? Out of uh, you know, one hundred fifty thousand out of a yeah. million, and right. and that's actually not that terrible of a conversion rate. If you can see, you know, con- it's conversion from just looking at the marketing advertising to an actual download. That's actually reasonably high, 15%. Right, right. And he puts himself in a, he's in, he's in a kind of niche market, too. And he's got a little graphic here showing that he's right between uh, the free preview app you get with your OS and, and Adobe's product, which I believe is also free, unless he's talking about the uh, version that comes with the cl- Creative Cloud. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, look at that that funnel, right? So, so Mark was talking about that funnel from 1 million to 150K. All right, but then that funnel from 150K trials to 50K sold. That's really good, uh, actually. Yeah, yeah. One, one, in, one in three. Yeah. 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 That's excellent. Mm-hmm. So he's got a overall, it's, a, it's about a 5% from view to purchase, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah it looks like so. people are, are coming and in there with a specific need, right? It's yep. not like, you know, you're, you're jonesing for a new social network or some new uh, game or something. You're like, dude, I need to do something with this PDF. What's out there? What's available? I mean, it just goes to show that the, that I suppose the point is that the, that it is still possible to to make a decent living or not a sorry living, but it makes some money on the um, on the Mac App Store. It's not dead, as we you know sometimes say, but. Um, it is possible. Like it, it's it's a matter of finding a um, a good product that people will be interested in, in using. So obviously a utility or something like that, right? And quality as well. That's another very mm-hmm. important thing on the Mac, right? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, charge real money. Hello. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Step one, yeah. Well, 60 bucks a pop, you know, like that's... Step one is have a good product. Yeah, obviously. But, I mean, this is why um, apps on iOS are not making money. It's because they only charge 99 cents. Or, you know, that's true. Yep. Yeah, that does seem to change. It depends on the market, right? So there are some markets where it's hundreds of dollars for an app, right? So, but On iOS? Very, yeah, yeah, but oh come uh, on! I I mean I know there are, but to to even speak of them is to give. Oh no, they're they're the rarity, but they're in <laughs> such there's in such a niche market like you know they're they're you know um, uh, apps for you know aiding people who can't speak for themselves and that kind of stuff you know the apps that have a specific role in in people's lives. Yeah, sure, lives. sure, yeah, of course, yeah. yes, yes. But yes. they're not your average everyday. Everybody's no. going to download it kind of app, right? No. Yeah. No. Okay, so. That's it for follow-up. That seems to be it, yeah. All right. Searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. Sometimes you'll go all the way through an interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. But then there's Hired. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. Over a four-week time frame, you receive personalized interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. Hired offers access to 4,000 and more innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. We help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Just let us know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance to us. That's why Hired hides your profile from your current and past employers. The best part, it's always free for you to find your next job on Hired, no exceptions. We pay you to get hired. Today's listeners can earn double our normal $1,000 hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, earn $2,000 for finding your next chapter on Hired. Just go to the URL, www.hired.com slash more than just code. All right. So Apple's out of routers. This is something that we heard uh, this week that Apple reportedly by Bloomberg is getting out of the router business. The airport extreme express and time capsule lines are going to be no more. Uh, And it seems that for the past year, Apple has been uh, dispersing the engineers on those projects to other things in the company. Hmm. And so if you are in the market for new Wi-Fi gear for your home, uh, you must look elsewhere at this point, uh, if, especially if you're thinking that um, Apple's going to come up with something new. Whenever the next wireless standard comes out is generally when people upgrade their equipment. Uh, and uh, you should not look to Apple to do it next time this happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So, um, you know, I guess the the thing about this this news is that this is the second exit we've heard about from Apple uh, in the hardware space. Yeah. The first being uh, displays, since LG is taking over their business. Uh, although, on a more minor note, uh, we're seeing Apple hand off a little bit of business to people like Belkin with the USB-C mm-hmm. to Ethernet adapter because they are not making that one themselves for whatever reason. I mean, they're making a bunch of other dongles. Why not that one? No, it's Belkin that has that. So they're out of that business. Uh, and now they're out of the router business, which is kind of sad because one of the great things about Apple's networking hardware, I mean, aside from the price you pay for it, which is not great, but <laughs> has the, the the great and easy configurability and that sort of... Uh, well-established trust that it works reliably. Something that Mm -hmm. you couldn't get out of, say, a Linksys router, which was the sort of standard purchase that you would make, spend $60, $70, $80, and get a router that would basically burn out in six months and or force you to unplug and replug it every week or two. (laughs) Uh, Apple stuff doesn't do that kind of shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, I for me, time time machine backups has always been a huge reason to have Apple products, and it makes me sad to see that they're going away from them because I've always sort of kept you know up with the latest versions of those. You know, I have, and it's only been since 2013 that they last refreshed those. So I have the the two terabyte tall you know uh, version that came out then, and I think that was uh, 802.11n, I think. So you're, Tim, you're talking about uh, time capsule, not time machine, right? Yeah, but it's it run yeah, time capsule, but yeah, right. sorry, so but time, machine, time machine backup, right? Yeah. But time machine backup is still available as software. You can use it with any kind of external drive or or solution you want. Yeah, connected to your Mac, but what right. about on the network? Right. Yeah, I, network. I don't. Historically, you had, historically, you had to have a server to run um, the. You need some kind of network software. attached. Yeah. Uh, well, not to run the time machines. Well, yeah, to to run time machine software on a network. Yeah, you need to have some kind of network attached storage. True. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I suppose too. Uh, Aaron and I both use CrashPlan, and that's another option for people to, you know, to have a Mac that hosts uh, a backup for the mach- other machines in the in the network, right? Other Macs in the network and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Is, is that what you're doing, Aaron, with your no, uh, no, CrashPlan? I, no, I back up directly to CrashPlan from oh in the states. Okay, okay. Yeah, in the yeah. states. <laughs> so yeah, so so when I first saw this article, yeah, I was a little disappointed myself because I've I've used Airport Express and I, I think it's great or, or uh, Extreme rather the base station. I also have an Express, and I think they're great and and I've had them for years. But as I thought about it a little bit more, I'm not sure it's really that big of a deal. Let me explain why. This is really getting to be commoditized hardware. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, it's, yeah, it's cheap stuff now. It's not really. Uh, it's not really stuff there's a lot of profit margin on. Apple's not making a lot of money off these things. Well, maybe Apple is because they have higher prices. But in general, people don't make a lot of money off of this stuff. So it's not really clear that we want Apple spending engineering time on this kind of stuff, especially when you consider a couple of things. Uh, I don't know about where you guys are, but but I have my network, my internet through Comcast and the cable modem they give me is not just a cable modem it's also a wireless gateway and i can't get anything else from that i mean that's that's what they that's what they offer it's a wireless gateway so since i use uh, uh, airport extreme uh base station i have this sort of daisy chain of of routers where i have this comcast box sending a network through my house that i can't turn off it, it, i don't have enough access to turn that off 
Uh, oh, really? But I don't actually Ooh. use that network. So I have multiple networks, some of which just never get used because I establish my own network through my airport. Now, do I really need to do that? Probably not, because uh, it's it was it's it's pretty easy to set up the other network. Uh, I just I do it because I'm using my Apple hardware that I like. Do I need to? Probably not. The other thing is is that cellular networks are, are getting to be so preve- prevalent and so fast that we may be moving into a time where you know you may not need. Wi-Fi as much. Obviously, if you're downloading huge amounts of things today, then yeah, Wi-Fi is still the right solution. But in a couple of years, who knows? You know, once we get into 5G, whatever that is, it it may not be so necessary to have independent networks. So in the future, is is it really necessary that Apple puts out their own wireless routers? I'm kind of thinking no. No, I totally agree on that respect. I mean, by the way, I have a Bell router, and I can turn the the Wi-Fi off, and you and I so I use my, I connect through it, but I use my time capsule machine as as my main uh, gate. Provides my my uh, Wi-Fi access as well as um, backs up my machines. And I mean, but to counter the argument about uh, cellular, I mean, currently I'm you know starting to use Netflix more and more, and TMN Go and that kind of stuff, and yep. and those are gigabytes of data that's coming down. So that would be prohibitive to do sure. on, on a cell plan. To, but today, yes, today, yes. But In you, a couple of years, right. though, I mean, who knows? And and you know, I can speak from the point of view of being a reseller of things in the past. That uh, it was always tough to compete with uh, the the Linksys and the D Links and that kind of stuff and Netgear. Um, and in in the marketplace, because you know you would sort of want people to have everything shiny with an apple on it, but uh when they were standing at the Best Buy and they could say, "Well, I can get this for like sixty nine bucks as opposed to your two ninety nine for the, your apple base station yeah. it was a hard hard sell you know to say, "Oh, but yeah, but it's you know it's white and it's got a chrome logo on it, you know that doesn't quite sell it and even though you know, Apple has always, like you said, had the, had the easier setup. Uh, I can see, you, to your point about things being commoditized, as soon as things are being commoditized, uh, you really want to get yeah, out of that market yeah. because then you're just you're shaving pennies to make yep. copper wire kind of thing, you know? Yeah, a good example uh, of that is, is the optical drive, right? You can go out today, say you need an optical drive for some reason, an external one that you want to plug into your, into your laptop or whatever. Uh, you can go out and you can buy the Apple one. And they probably charge you, sure, I don't yeah. know, 150, 200 bucks. I don't, I haven't priced it. I don't, I don't know what they cost, but, but, uh, can almost guarantee that it's, it's, uh, two or three times more expensive than going to Fry's and just buying the cheap low end one that's probably available for 20 bucks, uh, yeah, from exactly. somebody else. And it, and it does the same thing. Um, let me provide a counterpoint, uh, to this. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you that Apple should not be in this business, uh, but, there are companies that are in this business that are n- new entrants and who have uh, distinct and new product. And uh, I'm thinking of companies like Eero, Eero, E-E-R-O, and another one called Ubiquity. And they have a consumer line called Affinity. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. So these companies offer... Wi-Fi routers that are um, using mesh technology. And what they do is they sell you a base station and one or more uh, satellite units that plug in through your house and automatically recognize and configure themselves to provide a much more consistent and uh, more powerful signal throughout your entire house. Um, The problem with single one-off, like an airport extreme, for example, 
or any kind of router is that it sits in one place and your coverage in the house is kind of spotty. It depends on all these factors. Whereas with a, a mesh network, you can uh, customize the placement of the uh, the routers within your house to get maximum coverage. And this is kind of a, a new thing, you know, like Eero has been around for maybe a year or so. Um, if you listen to other podcasts, you've probably heard the ads. Um, this is an area where Apple and and other traditional commodity router vendors are being left behind, frankly. So if if you are in the market for new networking gear, you really do need to take a look at a couple of these these vendors because um, they offer higher prices. <laughs> you're not going to spend sixty bucks on these things. You're going to spend like you know two hundred, three hundred dollars, um, but you're going to get like a much faster local network and one that works everywhere in your house, which yeah, is funny. kind of where things are going. It's funny. I was in the Home Depot the other day and I saw an LED light bulb that had a wireless repeater in it, which was kind of weird, you know. Hmm. So all, yeah. that's that's awesome, and those things are great. But that's even all the more reason for Apple to not be in that business. Let's because it's not something that they're going to make a lot of money off of. So let somebody else do all the R and D and development for that and sell it for that low, that cheap price. Good for them. Sure. Yeah. Doesn't mean Apple has to do it. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a, a you know where do you draw the line, right? Like Apple was bu- was building Wi-Fi gear in order to best uh, integrate with its products. And if they're not doing that anymore, then that seems a little odd to me because uh, there are certain things that, that only Apple can do by integrating, you know, uh, Wi-Fi into, uh, into its networking technologies and then all the phones and the, the Macs sitting around your house uh, you know, having a known wireless access point to work with could provide a number of advantages, you know, things like yeah. AirPlay, for example, um, or automatic configuration of new devices that come on the network, for example, something that Apple's toyed with a little bit. Uh, it's also been seven or eight years since Apple sold an, an XServe, right? When the last server, I think I have yeah, one here, X-Serve. 2009 yeah. XServe. And yeah. when they when they booked, they backed out of the enterprise market because they, there was no way they were getting in competing with the other, other uh, vendors. And because they were competing with people who could kill them on price. Uh, and, and they had ubiquity in terms of uh, already acceptance from the from the IT people out there in, in the uh, in the corporate world, right? So I was really sad to see them get out of out of Xserves. So I, th- I think it's you know they've they've kind of focused, and now that we now that they're making what uh, is it sixty percent from iOS device sales, uh, iPhone in particular. Um, why would they spend you know so much effort and engineering time on something that you know they're they're not going to sell that many of when you get down to it? I mean, how many base stations do you think they sold in you know the last little couple of years, right? That may be where they're sort of making their business decision on the fact that well, there's already other companies out there. Maybe 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 a strategic alliance with Eero or Belkin or something like that. Maybe one of those people can pick up for in in my case the the time capsule kind of product, right? So. Because maybe they can partner with them and and you know share the share the engineering knowledge and and then Apple doesn't have to worry about actually spending the time to make or or have staff to build these things right yeah completely makes sense so real time follow up on pricing so I went to Apple's store and in U S dollars the Apple USB Super Drive is seventy nine dollars 
I also went to Fry's, and the most expensive external drive I can find is fifty nine ninety nine. The least expensive is twenty three ninety nine. There you go. Stocking like, stuff. Most of them, most of them in that like forty forty five ish dollars looks like about the average. Yeah. So so if all you do if all you use your optical drive for is to uh, rip CDs or burn CDs every once in a while or or something like that, then you probably don't need the more expensive one. And you're pretty much getting the same performance out of, out of the cheaper ones. So that's true. So yeah. you know, that's that's a great example of why Apple doesn't need to be making these things anymore. Yeah, I mean, I have the I have a MacBook Air uh, Super Drive upstairs, USB connected one that I've got with my one of my MacBook Airs umpteen years ago. I have three Macs here at least that are running every day, and I've haven't burned a disc in I don't know how long. So yeah, I think I use I use my um, I use the uh, the super drive to support my external SSD drive that's on my iMac so that it clears the top of the keyboard. Hmm. That's about that. Right. All right, Mr. Um, Lopez. Hang, if you, if you do have some of those, uh, you probably should hang on to them just in case they make another book. They buy it from you <laughs> on eBay <laughs> at an extreme markup. Well, you know, it's funny uh, when I when I saw that thing about the uh, the uh, Ethernet uh, gigabit Ethernet adapters being scarce. I went. I have I have a USB one from back when I had my MacBook Air, um, and the original MacBook Air, and uh, I looked checked on eBay to make sure the prices weren't going through the roof. So there still are USB Ethernet Ethernet adapters made by Apple available on e- on eBay for a reasonable price. So get yeah. them while they're hot. I mean, if you got the bag of dongles right now, is the time to hang on to those suckers and make a huge mark, you know, profit markup and uh, on eBay when people are like, "Hey, I just bought this thing for my child." Yeah. How do they connect their phone? Oh, they can't. Well, for the low, low price of two hundred dollars, you can buy this adapter from me. Or, or little Jimmy and little Sally can be disappointed by your lack of thoughtfulness. And if you're really, really desperate, I have a USB fifty-six K modem. That acts as a fax modem as well. So, made oh, by I Apple. had one of those. Yep, that was awesome. <laughs> it was very compact. Yeah, it's the size of an Ethernet adapter, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I still have what's probably the most useless uh, adapter in existence right now. It's it's a MIDI to ADB adapter. Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have it one of those too. Yeah, Tim is like, I, I got five of them in my. Face I got here. five of those, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a uh, USB to a keyspan USB to ABD, so you can connect two ADB devices to a USB Mac. Mm. So I could ro- I could rock my old keyboards on my Mac. You go, Tim. Yeah, for sure. Of course, there's no drivers available anymore, but that's beside the point. Do you need drivers for something like that? Yeah, you yeah. needed a. There was a Keyspad driver that when when OS ten first came out, you had to have. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mind you, okay. still have some OS Mac OS not classic Mac uh, devices here too. Jaime, how would you organize a Swift file, or better yet, how would Jared Sinclair do it? Yeah, that's a that's a real good question. So I've been doing more and more professional, you know, Swift as opposed to just sort of tinkering with it on the side. Um, you know, my current job i'm doing a whole lot more of it and uh, i came across this blog post by by jared sinclair uh, folks probably know him as the developer for unread or overshare kit and repost and maybe a couple others i'm forgetting um and he talks about like the way that he organizes uh, a swift file which uh 
made me sort of realize like I wasn't really sure what the accepted way of doing that was. Like I definitely have strong opinions of doing it in objective C, but I looked at this one and, and he goes over an example case where things are kind of um, in some cases sloppy. Like there's, you know, there's some pragma marks, uh, but they're kind of not consistently used. And so, okay, he, he deals with that, but then he moves over into sort of like some of the, the readability philosophy bits, right. Where he's got, you know, all the properties are uh, above the init section. Um, and they're sort of ordered by, you know, what's the accessibility uh, of it from outside of this class or module or, or what have you, where, um, you can more easily view from top to bottom the uh, sort of external interface and then sort of any internal dependencies. And I found it uh, kind of interesting because uh, it more or less maps with what I, I think an Objective-C style would look like. Just with, uh, to my eye, something that, that comes up that I hadn't really thought about with Swift is that the uh, the equivalent of pragma mark is just, you know, slash slash and then mark colon um and that looks great in in xcode where you're looking through and you're trying to see the different breakdowns of, of what there is but i realized that it's it's not colored differently which i think is a, a huge shame uh because on objective c it's great it's like in the theme that i use the midnight theme like those suckers mm -hmm. are orange so i'm like right. okay what am i looking at here oh these are all table view delegates okay what am i looking over here oh these are you know some sort of other callback sort of thing um, and I would guess that you, hypothetically you wouldn't have too many of these in there, so it shouldn't be that much of an issue. I just have issues, you know, visually distinguishing, um, these big logical sections where now that's, everything's just green, right? It's green sure. comments. But you know, um, those things populate the jump bar too, right? So they separate, separate out your code. Yeah. With and, and it works, you know, just as well for that as it, as it always did just sort of visual color scheme wise is, is sort of yeah. different. And I, and I got really dependent um, on that. And in any case, I think, yeah, take a look at this article. I'm, I'm very curious, what other folks here have, um, if you've had a chance to skim it and sort of say, Oh, yeah. well, I do this other thing for blah, blah, blah reason instead. Yeah. I uh, tend to do it the way he's done it here. Um, like I tend to put the variables and constants at the top of the file um, and, you know, group the outlets and the, um, actions together actions separately but you know and if i'm doing any kind of adopting any kind of protocol i tend to put them in an extension so that it just separates it out from the class but yeah i'm i like to use uh marks and stuff with pragma marks as well and I, I i don't use i use a default theme from xcode and i think they're brown like any kind of you know uh anytime you use a pound symbol in in xcode uh with the default theme it come up brown so again like you said they're they're a different color from your green comments which kind of makes you know sense but uh I guess that's just because it's using the slash slash at the beginning of the mark, right? But mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so uh, j kind of, kind of, rather than having things all just sort of spread throughout the file, even even in Objective C, it kind of we tend to put our group our things at the top of the file if they're used, you know, globally in in inside the class. Um, otherwise, you know, you sort and and even inside a function or where or uh, you know, something where I'm where I'm putting creating local variables and constants, I would put them sort of at the top of that function so that you can sort of separate them out and see them. And that's kind of the style that I've adopted in in how I organize Swift files. Very similar to what he's got here. Just makes it easier to find stuff. I don't think there's anything at all controversial in what he's saying here. 
No, no, I wouldn't not at have all. bothered to write this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, this is how we code things. Yeah, only because I think I think um, when you when you deal with a lot of developers, like I work in a large group, and and uh, you can tend to, if you don't have some sort of coding style guide and some sort of uh, standards, um, you get all kinds of different things out of different people's thinking because it's it's you know it's it's how people think about stuff that that is how they end up coding right. And everybody thinks differently. So if you have to work in a large group, you may want to have something consistent about that, right? Sort right. of on the same topic of that, uh, I wanted to point out something that our team was looking at recently. And it's a library from Nick Lockwood called Swift Format. And it's available on GitHub. I'll paste a link in here to the mm-hmm. notes. And so what it does is it's a script that you would add as uh, sort of a build script in your process, uh, in Xcode, in your project. Anyway, Swift Format, what it does is that it uh, it goes through your code, and this might freak you out, but it actually rewrites your, your files <laughs> to uh, to follow a particular format. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It, this, this app has a number of uh, formatting rules in place already. Things like putting spaces uh, around parentheses. Yep. So if uh, if you do it wrong, it'll fix it. Uh, the way that uh, brackets are used, uh, square brackets and braces, and um, uh, what else we got here? Spaces around operators, around comments, trailing white space gets rid of that crap. Uh, consecutive blank lines. I saw that was in Jared Sinclair's piece. Uh, he doesn't like blank spaces, uh, so it, it just trims those down. Uh, the way that uh, that uh, if else statements are 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 done formatting wise like the way the tab spacing is done uh stuff like that there's a whole bunch of them and i think you can probably add some more if you're of your own if you wished sure yeah and uh so this this enforces not not the order and uh placement of functions and uh properties in your file but the actual swift code itself so it's not exactly yeah. what jared's talking about but related we use a similar thing in our Objective-C stuff called Clang Format. I don't know if you guys are... It's a Alcatraz no, extension that goes through and does the same sort of thing, you know, fixes up spaces and stuff like that. Uh, I have one particular developer who's constantly going through and fixing people's spacings and files just because they, they bother him, you know. <laughs> oh, so it's it's part of Clang. A Clang Format, yeah. The Clang Format does similar similar things like this, but buzz with, with Objective-C, not necessarily Swift. But, uh, yeah, I like this. this. This is looking good. And the other thing, too, if you're new to Swift, you have to really be careful with uh, spacing, especially when you're using uh, numer- uh, digital digits, you know, especially if it's to separate from what's a calculation or iteration and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. The compiler will yell at you if you don't. So, Right. And for the most part, like when I was looking at the rules in this uh, Swift format, um, I was pretty much in agreement with almost everything there. Uh, it, it jibed with the style that I write my code in. So I was pretty pleased with it, except for one thing mm. there was, um, I got to go back and find it again. <laughs> oh no. Um, there was, uh, in it, in a list, uh, like a dictionary list. Let me see if I can find it again. Uh, yes. So you have an array and say it's an array of strings and each, each item is, would have a comma. The end of that list would also have a comma. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. So if you got like array equals bracket foo comma new line bar comma new line baz comma close bracket. That's what it wants to do. And uh, I hate that. I hate that. Oh, with you, it wants to put sons. the comma in the back. It... Yeah, at the end. Oh yeah. I yeah. Do, I, I agree with you. I don't like that. Don't like it. And so 
I was wondering why, and uh, I was talking to my team members, and uh, my other team members suggested that it was so it would be very easy to add another item True. to the yeah. array because you wouldn't have to worry about the comma. If you uh, assume the comma is always going to be at the end, then it makes it a little easier to not forget it. Yeah, that's like one of those tabs versus spaces things. I've seen some cases where the commas end up in front of the variable name, so as well as well in other languages. Oh, yeah, hmm. that's just weird. No, do not do. <laughs> okay. okay. So, Aaron, how does uh, Swift format differ from like or compare and contrast to Swift Lint? From, uh, okay, yes, because we use Swift Lint too, and um, they they are complementary uh, in a way because what Swift Lint does is show you the problems that you have. And right, yeah. uh, there's a number of stylistic rules, um, like cyclomatic complexity, <laughs> which is my favorite when a, when a method signature is too complex by its lights and it stops you. Uh, right. that, that doesn't make any sense at all to me, but never mind that one. Uh, <laughs> well, and what it does is that it actually, it'll if you use it in its strict mode, it will... Uh, throw up a warning and prevent you from compiling your code if you have a stylistic error. Whereas Swift Format Ooh. rewrites your code. Right? Right. right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and their their rule sets do not overlap. There's a, like a, you could make a Venn diagram of them and there would be some overlap between them, but uh, they're not complete. So um, in our team, we are considering having both of them. We've got Swift Lint already. And uh, we're thinking about turning on Swift format too. Cool. Maybe just the the final question, if it's if it's an easy answer. So another thing I've noticed is that um, extensions don't really show up the way I would like them to in the jump bar. And I don't know if that's like a formatting thing that needs to be corrected to to get it to show correctly, or if that's just a limitation in Xcode itself. So if you have like you know this view controller, let's say what is it, detail view controller, he's showing in the example. And then in that same file, you get an extension for, oh, detail view controller. It's, it's a terrible example, but it's like, oh, uh, it's also a, a table view delegate, right? And you have write an extension to, to handle your table view delegate uh, methods. When you look in the jump bar, it's just going to show you, like, you know, the, the first detail view controller and then all these methods that he has here, like init and viewed it load. And then another little section that says detail view controller yeah. and then the table view delegate yeah. methods without intelligently like at least showing oh that's an extension that's right there yeah it looks very odd it does and i'm i have the same issue i it's it, it seems to be a shortcoming in xcode um but nowadays right we yeah. have uh like xcode has its extension architecture so like you can write plugins and i was actually just thinking earlier jaime when you were talking about the um the marks uh that it, it should be feasible i would think to write an xcode plugin that did treat those differently. Right, right. Okay, and cool. So it sounds like, like that, that there isn't... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that Think would definitely it. be pretty nice. Cold folding uh, that way would be pretty nice. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so what's uh, what's new and exciting with the, the members of this podcast? Uh, is that some kind of very poor segue because nobody on this podcast is actually working for Instagram. No, well, one of us does kind of, sort of. Some the extended family, the extended family, the extended, extended family, family yeah. yeah. But nobody, mm. nobody here on this this phone not call. Not presently on the call. Okay. Holy See, cow! Talk about well, which makes it better because there's no conflict of interest. We can say whatever the heck we want, <laughs> which is good because I have questions. <laughs> yeah, I do too. But go ahead. 
Instagram, uh, you know, sometime show host Greg Heo, he of the shifty eyes, is uh, part of the team that built Instagram Live. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. What are they calling it? Or is it just the feature is called live video on Instagram stories? Uh, live, it would be so. Yeah, they, they use the word live. Uh, and Greg is probably yelling at Where the podcast right now. Oh, maybe. Yeah, announcing live video on Instagram stories. Yes, mm. I'm looking at their blog post right now, which is in our show notes. Um, and it's essentially like this is coming all from an, a non-Instagram user. I don't use Instagram at all. So uh, take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> you can uh, share live videos in the Instagram app and it looks identical to Periscope, doesn't it? Does it look identical to Periscope? Uh, from I mean, in that it's very minimalist. I mean, it's there's but kind of the like same... the only so many ways to have like, you know, a rounded rectangle kind of thing. It, it It's very much a content first sort of thing. So the, the Chrome, mm-hmm. if you told me it was Periscope, I would totally believe you. Um, and Facebook Live is very similar too. Yeah, yeah, the hearts thing is the same, yeah. That's identical. Like even the animation is the same, isn't it? That's what I was wondering about. The only difference between this from what I've seen and uh, uh, Live, and there's another one from another company called Facebook, I think, is that uh, these don't live beyond the live experience. Like they, they're not stored on the server. They're just kind of sort of thrown out there, and, and I believe they disappear almost immediately, right? Well, that's Which a good thing. Which is strange. I mean, That's hypothetically, strange. but we, we've, we talked about the fact that stuff doesn't really leave once it's on the internet. So <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't use this to, like, you know, make a sex cam or something. Like, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is clearly uh, but, an answer to Snapchat with, mm-hmm. with its ephemeral oh, it's right. posting. That's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which, which is, uh, from a business point of view, it's very smart for Facebook to do that or Instagram to do that. Uh, because uh, Snapchat is doing extremely well right now. They're talking about an IPO that could be potentially very huge. So, yeah, it's clearly what the uh, the young people are doing these days. So it makes a lot of sense that, that Instagram would do this. You sounded yeah, so they- cool when you said that, though, Mark. <laughs> It's clearly what the young people are doing these days. Yes, the young kids. <laughs> well, that is. The, so they've added this story mm-hmm. thing across the top. Since you don't use Instagram, Aaron, um, these little circles with the bubbles, circles at the top, they're kind of, you can do like a little sort of short little group of videos, and that's your story, as it were. Um, and you can click on each one of them and see them, and they kind of they kind of disappear after you watch them. So, you know, Greg just puts them up quite often, um, as well as, you know, just the standard stock, you know, sort of shot that I took, and people can comment on them and like them. Um, but stuff on Instagram generally stays there, right? So the fact that this stuff kind of disappears and becomes ethereal. Initially, when Periscope first came out, when we first talked about it, I guess, a year and a half ago, um, things would last for, like a, I think, a couple of weeks. But now you can actually go back, and things that I recorded in August are still there, right? Um, and Facebook is a lot of – I've seen a lot of celebrities doing, like, live uh, bits on Facebook, like Kevin Smith does them, George Stromopoulos does them, where they, they do, like, a, a live segment, and it stays on the the – facebook page for uh, any number of weeks because you can go back and watch them again if you miss the live event per se right and it's just a way of them marketing their their efforts and things but so the fact that this disappears and becomes ethereal this is like mark was saying this is kind of what the snapchat thing was initially right wasn't it the idea that it would you would put up something and it would just disappear yeah. almost immediately yeah right yeah ethereal? That was ephemeral is what is the word they usually ephemeral, use yeah thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so snapchat does that yeah i actually worked on an app a few years ago uh, that is that was a similar concept uh, of ephemeral posting, 
it's you know it's 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 real popular amongst the younger set. It really is. They they they'll take pictures of things and and send them and uh, you know don't want to keep them around forever, which is a little bit of a different model than what Instagram has traditionally done, which is you know stored the the photos in a in a uh, uh, not a feed but a uh, you know a gallery that that people can go look at. So it's it's a little bit of a departure, but. But uh, it's it's definitely an area that people are interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tweeted um, as soon as I saw this story come out. Like, I guarantee you, the first major revision that they have, feature wise, is to let broadcasters save these things indefinitely. Like, it's an obvious ask, right? We saw it with Periscope. We've mm-hmm. seen it with Facebook Live. I think there's something valuable in having the default be ephemeral. And then give you, you know, like a 24-hour grace period to be like, man, that was really great. I think I'm going to save that and let everybody see it forever. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's there's a, there's a certain advantage to ephemeral uh, posts that, you know, maybe Instagram doesn't care about this, but other companies do. In fact, it was probably the reason Snapchat did it in the first place. And And the advantage for the developer is that you don't have to store all the stuff. If you have, if you're storing true. Yeah. You know, millions of photos and now millions of videos, that that could turn into a lot of storage space. And like I said, for someone right. like like Facebook or Instagram, it's it's storage is pretty cheap. That's not a big deal. But for a little startup like Snapchat, when they first started, it was a big deal to have to store all that stuff. So I, I believe that they they didn't do that for any reason other than uh, convenience for themselves, uh, and and it just caught on. It became really popular. So they they kind of stumbled into something that was a real hit there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's like a social value though to having your your media like this be ephemeral, knowing that it's going to disappear, that it's not going to be stored, especially these days? I'm thinking of situations like you know political situations or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. cyber bullying. Well, I just used the word cyber. Sure points. <laughs> Uh, oh, you mean a negative? That, so if it's cyberbullying, yeah. that's a negative thing because you don't have a record of it, uh, which you would like to have if you're the bully e, right? You'd like to be able to store yeah. that to show people to prove. Or like, you know, what if you're? Bullied. What if you're? However, uh, uh, yes, that was that was considered a big advantage of it at the beginning until people realize that that nothing really is ephemeral. I mean, it, it, worst case, you can just take a picture of it uh, and then you have a copy of it, so it's not really ephemeral if somebody really wants to keep it around. Uh, or you know these these things exist even though they might de- uh, delete it from their server. It's pretty hard to ensure that these things get deleted 100 percent completely for good. So, well, that's yeah. actually more my question. Like, does can we be assured that Instagram or Facebook, you know, the great vacuum cleaner of data, is actually going to delete no. this data? No, no, you, you could not be sure of that. In no fact, way. you could be sure that. Well, you can't be sure that it's not being deleted because probably in good faith they are trying to delete everything, but but you cannot 100% be sure that it's being deleted. No way. I was just looking in their FAQ in their help section, and there were no assurances that I could find that this data is actually going to be gone. In some respects, that might be kind of difficult, right? Like All you would need is their distributed file system to have a bug in it where the 20th copy doesn't end up getting deleted, even though it should be. And it is physically there somewhere in a data center. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it has to be in a data center for some time, 
right? Sure. Because it's being That's distributed right. around uh, the followers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you can never count out a malicious person or a, working at the data center or a hacker or something. Even though everything's encrypted, there's, you know, there's, there's always a way for somebody to get at it if they try hard enough. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, see if I can give this a try. Um, I've <laughs> been a consumer of the stories aspect of, of Instagram, but I... I've, that's largely been read-only mode. I don't think I've ever actually created a story. So uh, next time I met something interesting, I'll try doing this and, and see how that feels and see how it compares mm-hmm. to my experience with uh, Periscope. Probably again, Tim. What was it? you said? It was like a year and a half. That's probably right. Right. Couple yeah, we, couple NS Norths ago is probably what it is in my head. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Yeah, because we it was um, it just come up about that time exactly. Yeah, which and those are in April, I think. Right. MS North, MS North? Yeah, it's like March, April time frame, I think. Pretty early mm-hmm. in the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll see where it goes. As long as my Facebook stock goes up, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever the kids want to do with it, right? All right. I was hoping to ask Greg uh, what his involvement was. Of course, he probably can't tell us, right? So He was a developer on the project. I guess was that's he? as much as you'll oh. get. Oh, yeah, okay. like he, yeah. he tweeted that he was involved in this. Oh, this okay, is his cool. team, right? So, right. Uh, cool. Good work, Photo- Greg. Photographic evidence that he has the like live tweet. No, sorry, the live uh, hoodie swag that he that he tweeted. So it's it's legit. <laughs> yep, it's forever there, Greg. You can't take it back. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. So uh, should we get on to the picks? Sounds good. Winter is coming, Tim. Maybe you have something to warm us up. Something to warm you up. Yes, I have some brain warmers for you. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Charlie, I forgot Charlie's last name. Charlie, let's call him Charlie, uh, posted this on uh, one of our Slacks, and um, I went over and had a look at it, and it's from We Heart Swift, and it's basically brain warmers. And what they are are little uh, tests on, I guess, uh, algorithm kind of things, uh, exercises you can do. Um, and they give you an exercise, and there's like a little live uh, Swift compiler that you can use, and it's running Swift 3, uh, which is kind of interesting. And uh, you can, it gives you an exercise to try, and then you try and try your hand at writing the the um, the example out to get the the um, function written for yourself. And uh, it's kind of cool. It's free, and they just started out. They got seven exercises there now, so I don't know if any of you guys have looked at it, but. Uh, I wasted a few uh, few minutes on it um, earlier this week, and I thought it would be good to share with the folks if you're into the Swift frame of mind. Yeah, and and, and these are the sorts of things that um, look very similar to coding interview questions. I have not <laughs> like railed against those, but like it's a practical reality of the industry. And uh, pro tip um, on one of them: spoilers for first n primes. But not mistaken, I think you can use a sieve of uh, sieve of what? Uh, it's a Greek name, uh, Erato, Eratosthenes. Aristophanes. Aristophanes. Thank you. There you go. Like that's an example. I would not just go out and like code that one. But in case you get stuck uh, on that. Wow, this is weird. Okay. Yeah, this isn't exactly my idea of a fun time. This is not the sort of thing that I get off on personally. Uh, playing with data structures like this. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely takes like a, a particular kind of interest in it. Like I've I've been asked by uh, several folks to join. Um, and there's probably more than one. It's like coding wars or something similar. 
right, where you right. um, you take these little challenges, and I guess based on uh, correctness and and speed to solution, um, you get points, and it's sort of like I can challenge you to like, oh look, I've, I've did you finish you know puzzle number thirty? Uh, I'm on puzzle number forty five now. Oh no, sort of thing. Um, there's definitely people who are into that, like the competitive programming uh, space. Uh, just, just not my bag, but uh, could appreciate that there's people out there who who do enjoy it. Yeah, this reminds me of a thing that I used to do uh, in my web development days called Ruby Cohen's, and they're a series of exercises in the Ruby programming language, which are very similar to this. I just put a link in the show notes. So if anyone's interested in Ruby, which is a beautiful, beautiful language, you can try these as well. It's a great way to learn the language, too. That's okay, Jaime, hit us. Hit us, Jaime. Yeah, my, my pick is almost more of a tip, but it's semi-pick because it's a tweet. I am not the originator of this tip, but um, having read this, I've I'm, I'm been using it more and more, especially as I've joined uh, you know, a new company and working with a code base that I'm not you know, intimately familiar with. Uh, this is a tweet by Tyler Fox, who works on um, UIKit over at Apple. And a quick, easy tweet. Xcode debugging tip. Capture view hierarchy to identify a mystery view, then use memory graph tool to search for its address to find owner. And I've mm. actually done that several times with like, where the heck is this coming from? It's especially on, on like table views that are, you know, part of a, some sort of contained view controller where you're like, okay, there, this can be used in several different spots. Who's actually the one that's presenting this darn thing. And it's pretty easy. So you just use the little capture view hierarchy, go find, okay, this one right here, this, this label or, for this table view cell. All right. Get that memory address because it shows up in the right-hand panel. And then go into the uh, memory graph tool and be like, dude, which one is this? And you can follow the chain like, oh, that's an account info view controller that's doing that. And who who launched that? Oh, it was, you know, this particular coordinator that launched. Oh, okay. Now I know how I got here. Super handy. Yeah, which is neat. Do you use Reveal, Jaime? You ever had that? You know, I have used reveal before um i don't know if it's it's changed um since then i know it was a lot easier to use um if you were using app code from um jet brains because they they had their little build process that could just like automatically inject it um it was somewhat of a hassle to use in xcode at the time where you had to actually add this like cocopod or other third-party framework um yeah, to your project you don't have to do that now kind of mess. oh really so you can just like yeah. have it as part of your like build settings or something or the way I have it integrated is with a breakpoint that automatically continues uh, in the app delegate and uh, it's a symbolic breakpoint. Sorry, not, not an app delegate breakpoint uh, and it automatically integrates it. So you don't have to install anything in the project to get it to work. So what does it do that the view hierarchy uh, viewer in Xcode well, the view, doesn't do. View hierarchy viewer from Xcode is ripped off. Sherlocked. Um, <laughs> reveal. Uh, except reveal has is more featureful than the view hierarchy viewer. Is that the right name for it? Um, yeah, like uh, if, if you've tried the view hierarchy viewer in Xcode, uh, I think your eyes will open a little wide when you see it in reveal. Well, I tried so, reveal. And stopped using it because I couldn't find anything that it did that the view hierarchy editor or viewer did that I needed. So what does it mm-hmm. do that that uh, is extra and bonus? Well, I don't know. Uh, I like uh, the way that it lays out the views in its layers. Uh, I can go between 2D and 3D view very easily with a button push. 
I can find objects uh, by their memory address, uh, which was a pretty neat addition to the latest version. Um, yeah, I think just, live live edits was something that revealed. Yeah, it does uh, I remember edits. like a year and a half ago was was sure, pretty good yeah. at, uh, and I don't think it. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can. Xcode. Yeah, I think it's just a view hierarchy viewer. Yeah. I think in Xcode, yeah. so so monkeying around with like auto layout stuff is is easier and reveal. I I just gave yeah. up on it uh, a while ago because of the the Xcode project integration that I didn't like. Um, mm-hmm. But if yeah, that's, that's been what, resolved, that's I was using it as well. Yeah, but yeah, if that's I'm been resolved, I think maybe I need to take a look at that again. Yeah, you can actually edit um, many of the UI view properties. Uh, so you just select your object and make any changes you like, and you can see how things are fitting together. So that's a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jaime, uh, coming back to the uh, view debugger memory graph, what's the memory graph part of it? I've used view debugger in the past and currently have an app right open right now. I'm just looking at the view of it right now. What yeah. Is the okay. So, so you know where the, the capture view hierarchy and the debugger tools, right? It's, it's, I don't know, it's like three rectangles kind of looks like a, could be like a watch band kind of looking. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. I got that going. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one or two icons to the right will be the three circles connected by oh, lines. Okay. Kind of looks a, like a sharing a... icon. You remember sure. we, we talked about that as being like a way to find like retain cycles and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so this is a horrible abuse of that process, but this is more like, Oh, because the view, uh, hierarchy stuff will give you memory addresses. Sure. Um, rather than going in and, you know, uh, there are, um, command line bits you can run at the, de- the debugger console to, to get that information. Right. I like just going over to the memory graph tool and just pasting it in. And then I can see not sure. only immediately what that thing is, but also the chain of how I got there. Right, right, right. That's cool. And this is, this is only in Xcode eight or is this in Xcode seven as well? I think it's no. It's definitely well, the the memory, memory graph was new to eight. Um, yeah, I thought can't so, remember yeah. when Capture View Hierarchy came out. I think that might have been seven. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I just, yeah, just stumbled across it here as you were saying. So yeah, I see the memory graph here. I remember at the WWDC videos from 2016 that they had uh, talked about this product or this new way of looking at things, and it looks interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm looking at a simple landing page, and I've got like probably like. 30 or 40 objects on the screen in front of me right now. Strange stuff. Good tip. Pro tip. Hashtag pro tip. <laughs> do you want to do my All pick right. now? Sure. All right. So my pick is a page on GitHub by DR Duh. Dur Duh. I don't know who this guy is. He's got to have a name. Doesn't have a name. D R D U H whoever this fellow is, he's published a page called a practical guide to securing mm-hmm. Mac OS. And it is a exhaustively long, uh, series about different aspects of nailing down Mac OS from a security standpoint. And, uh, I, I was browsing through it today and kind of going agog at the level of detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're at all into this, I think you'll find that if you had any sense of security about your Mac as it comes to you out of the box, this will shatter that illusion <laughs> um, very surely. And so if if you're looking to be truly secure, especially in this era of, let's face it, we're less secure now than we used to be, this is uh, a way to harden your system. And I just don't know that it's going to be possible for you to follow all the advice on this page. 
but uh, some of the things that you'll find here, you know, pick and choose and uh, everything that you do will make your situation better. Uh, but it is extensive uh, things from I, I really uh, enjoyed. <laughs> I put that in air quotes, enjoyed the part about installing the operating system. You think installing the operating system from Apple is just like, you know, uh, a secure uh, thing that you can do. No, no, there, there are so many ways uh, to, uh, to have a bad actor get in the middle of that. So here's, here's actually what you ought to do, uh, by checking the hash and then creating your actual, your own boot image, uh, verifying that one and then creating a virtual machine. Um, and then, uh, setting up a web server to transmit that image, uh, instead of Apple server so that you can trust that it's coming from you. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. There's some crazy stuff in here. Oh, we've got, uh, that's right. Hacker man. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> show for the, Thank uh, you, Jaime. For the audio, the audio bit, hopefully Tim can get this into the show notes. It was, uh, in the chat, I put the <laughs> hacker man meme, which has, um, Elliot from Mr. Robot on there. It's great. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. Great show. So, um, I, I definitely recommend that you take a look at this. If you're interested in this sort of thing, I, I cannot conceivably cover it in any meaningful depth because there is literally so much. There's just so much. It's crazy. But um, if you're serious about security, this is a great starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the sort of uh, thing that always has me telling people when I've, you know, I've been in jobs, they're like, oh, we need to add some security, blah, blah, blah. Lopez, can you do it? I'm like, uh, I don't <laughs> think you want me to do that. There are people who are paid really good money to really know this sort of stuff. And yeah. uh, I'll definitely take a look at this and see if there's anything that I can use in my daily life that might be interesting from that. And then there's additional resources, and that goes on for quite a while, too. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Um, it really seems to highlight this disparity between security and convenience. You know, uh, things that are more secure are less convenient. And, you know, that's definitely true when you read this. It's the thought that I had going through my head. I was like, oh, I want to be more secure, but, oh, God, I cannot bother with this stuff. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but there it is. I mean, I think if, if there were sort of a perfect future where uh, technology could be made uh, very secure, like very, very secure, without a ton of knowledge and intervention on the part of the user, then you've got to win. And I guess, you know, Apple is sort of into that, right? Like they... They they do what they can to offer like full disk encryption, for example, which is a, a great technology to have firmware passwords stuff. But, you know, people don't really take advantage of them so much because, you know, you really have to know they exist. Anyway, that's my pick. Cool. All right. So, hey, Aaron, if people want to get a hold of you on the interwebs, where would they find you? Twitter.com slash Aaron Bay. And Jaime, if people want to find you. I'm also on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And if Mark, people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And once again, I'm Timitra. I am T-I-M-I-M-E-T-R-A on Twitter. And we'll see you guys next week. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, 
go ahead and press that recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help in spreading the word. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next time. There's a lot of those sort of sort of games now, right? So yeah, I did play one on the iPad when the iPad kind of first mm-hmm. came out. It was called Nova. Did you play that one? No, no. It was actually pretty good. But speaking of which, I just I didn't put it in the show notes, but uh, somebody's actually come out with a Dune for the Touch Bar. Did you see that? Oh. Yeah, I saw mm-hmm. that one. They they like shoved it on there, and it's really it's really odd, but it does yeah. kind of. Uh, Sort of follow that whole history of people putting doom on just about everything. <laughs> yeah, I asked James Thompson if he was going to put uh, Pete Calc on Touch Bar. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. Have you been playing with Touche at all, or I've been running it all week on my computer at home here. So even even when I'm watch when I'm go to my QuickTime audio recording, I can see you know the bits are flying as Jaime would say mm-hmm. when I switch over to that. So it's interesting how many apps you know haven't supported, but how many how many have actually. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I haven't because I've been mostly spending my time doing work stuff, and mm-hmm. that um, that laptop isn't on um, isn't on Sierra, so oh, okay. I can't use it on that. I haven't really messed around with it on my personal laptop. Yeah, I have it. I have it on my work work one as well. So it's kind of kind of interesting. It's interesting to things like especially when like Aaron said when the videos come on. So I finally got to finish Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, I just watched it. Have you watched it before, Mark? Yeah, I told you about it, I think, didn't I? Oh, yeah. Well, Aaron was the one who kind of brought it to my attention anyway. But, uh, yeah, yeah. No. yeah, I watched it, and I guess a couple of nights ago, I watched, like, the first six episodes, and I just watched the last two yesterday. So, interesting thing. What would you think about it? It was really good. Really well done. Creepy, you know? It was nice and creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you guys watched Black Mirror at all? Yes. No, I haven't. Uh, not not all of it. I've only seen maybe all of season two. I'm not. Even, I'm not sure. Uh, Seasons yeah, are so I'm short, so I might have seen all of season, season two, season three. Now, yeah, yeah, I've only seen one one so far. I saw the one with John Hamm in it, but because uh, I think I can only get season, one episode from season two, and then season three, I guess, is on our our box. Which here, is so. which is the one with John Hamm? He, the one where he's. Um, He's trying to get. Uh, he's trying to talk to this uh, other guy um, about some crime that he committed or something he did, um, and it's about putting a. His job is putting, p- making copies of people and putting them inside of like a little egg so that they can control the household appliances. Like they would make a copy of Mark Rubin and put him inside the little egg. Do not remember that one. I don't want to no. give too much away. No, I don't. I don't remember that one. <laughs> I have to go back and look. I, I watched the first couple of seasons a couple of years ago. It starts on Christmas Day, like apparently it's Christmas Day, yeah. and, and okay. yeah, th- yeah. So, and I, all I remember is, is the guy from Shaun of the Dead who says, "You got red on you." That was the British actor that was playing the other part. These two guys in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. That's how it starts. So, yeah. Oh, so and, it's the other guy, not not Simon Pegg, but the other the other guy. Yeah. The well, you remember the the guy that was the dealer? No, not Fred. the the guy The guy who worked in the electronics store was Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, yeah, he's. 
He's the one. He's the one calling uh, Fred on the phone and and making deals with him all through the movie. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to watch it the movie like seven times to get to catch that, I guess. Anyway. We need to head out a little bit early today because last minute planning for Thanksgiving uh, Ah, here in the US of A. All the the shopping is done for like the main stuff, so that's good. I I don't I don't wish that on anybody who having to still go out right now (laughs) the night before (laughs) Thanksgiving and all right, I'll see you guys. Have a good one. Have a good holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) It'll be too late by the time this goes out. Oh, that's true. Well, I was talking to the hosts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. I'll, uh, I'll see you all uh, Enjoy next Enjoy the football. Time. I will. Oh, man, so the Cowboys there's, there's better still win. Cowboys game so tomorrow, right? Or is there? Yeah, in the afternoon. Oh, it's afternoon game. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.